Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Was it that Sports Illustrated's Ben Ryder witnessed that gave him confidence to predict that only three seasons later the Astros would win the World Series? Ben details the Astros organization's transformative rise in his sensational book Astro Ball, which tells the tale of how Astros utilize data science, previously unseen analytics, and next wave thinking to improve their organization's decision making. It's no secret that there's been a huge push in uh, oil and gas to use big data and predictive analytics in oil and gas. So I'm excited that joining Ben on stage is Oil and Gas Global Network's Justin Gaither, who works in the industry for AES Drilling Solutions, as well as hosts the very popular Oil and Gas Onshore podcast on the OGGN podcast network. So before I kick it over to Justin to pick Ben's brain about how we can transform our own organizations, I'd like to remind everybody that Intellion and ITC Global's Bases Loaded Bash is directly after this session, and Ben's going to stick around and sign copies of Astro Ball. So head over to the Rose Garden Room to purchase a book and have it signed by Ben. So please, everybody, give me a round of applause to Ben Ryder and Justin Gaithier. Awesome. Thanks for sticking around. I know it's been a long day. Conferences are exhausting, but certainly looking forward to this. There's a, a lot of people have been excited about this. So anyway. Ben, the, the first thing I was always curious about is really, you know, where did you get the idea for such a book? You know, you've obviously been in sports your whole life, you know, dealing with being with Sports Illustrated and, and kind of where did you see the need or desire to, to even start writing something like this? Well, Justin, let me take you back to 2014. And Michael gave us a reminder there of how bad the Astros were at the time, <laughs> but they were ridiculously bad, right? They were ludicrously bad. They were the worst baseball team over the previous three-year stretch in half a century, right? That's how bad they were. They were so bad that local TV ratings here in Houston were, for some games, 0.0, which meant that Nielsen couldn't verify that a single Houstonian had watched some of these games. They were so bad that Alex Trebek made fun of them on Jeopardy. And, <laughs> Now, I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you, I have the book up, and I'm going to read the question he asked, and I think some people in this particular audience might be able to know the answer. The question is, the large valve used to control wellbore fluids on oil rigs is this preventer. The Astros could have used one. <laughs> I thought you guys would know the answer to that. Yeah. Blowout preventer, yeah. right? So I was drawn down here for Sports Illustrated by just how awful they were, really. I wanted sure. to find out why are they so bad? What's the plan here? Is there a plan here? So I spent several days embedded with the front office, and I met people who I never, the type of people I've never met before in a baseball uh, scenario. I met Jeff Luno, who is the general manager. He's somebody who had come up as a consultant at McKinsey and had worked in tech industries. I met his head analyst, a guy named Sig Meidel, who'd been a blackjack dealer in college and had worked <laughs> for NASA as a rocket scientist. These were not traditional baseball guys. Right. After spending several days with them, I came away thinking not only do they have a plan, it's a new one. It represents a significant advance on the money ball model that had kind of been dominating baseball until that point, and then I thought it would work. 
Yeah. Right? So that's why we produced that, at the time, very controversial cover, predicting that this terrible baseball team would win the World Series in 2017, you know, which they did, ultimately, against the odds. Yeah. After that happened, I figured, you know what, I've been following this organization, I've built up a lot of relationships, I think that they're onto something that has implications not just for sports, but for all sorts of industries who are struggling to try to figure out how to properly exploit data analytics to get the best results they can. So that's really when I sold Astro Ball and uh, wrote the book. Nice. Well, they really had nothing to lose at that point, and neither right. did you, right? It's like, let's right. make a prediction and see what happens. Right. And uh, if anyone's wondering why he's sucking down a bunch of water throughout the talk, <laughs> just he's getting over bronchitis. So, you know, you got to give him some credit for flying all the way down here. Thank so, uh, you. Appreciate Thanks. that. Tough it out, you know. Oh, yeah. You'll, you'll make it. So, one of the things that we experience in oil and gas, at least through my experience in the drilling world, is we have all this data, and it's just continuously coming in, coming in, coming in. And it's not a question of, you know, do we have enough data to create value by using different machine learning, data analytics, and stuff like that. But it's, it's kind of like, we have all this data, like what can we do with it? And so I guess I was curious about, did you know, the, the Astros have an end goal in mind to say, okay, here's what a win would be for us. Let's reverse engineer and figure out which data we need. Or did they say, here's all this data we have, what can it tell us? Does that make sense? Their end goal, Justin, was to was simple in a way. It was to figure out a better way of properly identifying the best players mm. to play for them, right? They did it in a way, as I mentioned, that was an advance on Moneyball. Like, yes, baseball has more statistics than any sport you can think of. It's a statistically-oriented game, and Moneyball was about identifying overlooked statistics that actually had a more direct correlation with wins than those that people usually looked at. Hmm. So that would be like on-base percentage. It was a big insight. On-base percentage is actually a better indicator of a player's value than batting average. Of course, when you looked in the paper for decades and decades, you'd see batting average. That's what players were judged by. That's wrong. That was what the A's figured out. On-base percentage led more directly to winning. These were incredible insights. But these insights came in 2003. Right? That's when Moneyball came out. Now we're talking 10, 15 years later. That's an eternity in innovation. It's an eternity in baseball. So the Astros were trying to figure out, look, how do we better predict what players are going to turn into winning ones? And they developed a system called Stout. Okay? Stout is half stats, half scout. Okay? Uh -huh. So their real stroke of genius was realizing that the scouts, right, player scouts, men who for years traveled around the country hundreds of miles a week, looking at players with their eyes, offering their judgments on them, you know, these guys were supposedly outdated by the time Moneyball came along. The numbers could tell us anything. Human beings are flawed. Why do we need expertise anymore, almost? Right. The Astros said, no, there is actual value in expertise. There's things that humans with experience can sense and, and determine that aren't showing up in our models. But how do we test those observations? And how do we figure out which of these observations are valid and are telling us something? And how do we test which are just rules of thumb that uh, you know, don't have much validity to them, don't have many applications to what we're trying to do here? So really what they did was they figured out how to properly weight all of these dozens and dozens of statistical data points and observational data points that added up to their ultimate goal, 
which was winning players. Now, I think an important thing that they did was they realized that each data point is just a data point, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's, there's no single thing that you could see about a player that would eliminate him from their consideration, right? Or to eliminate him from uh, potentially becoming a member of the organization. Sure. A lot of scouts would see short players, right? And say, oh, this guy can never be a big leaguer. We're going to immediately write him off. I'm looking for the six foot four outfielder, 220 pounds, cannon, right arm, that sort of thing. The Astros said, no, like, yes, it's very nice to have the six foot four or even the six foot seven Aaron Judge type of player, but that's not the only one who can be a good player for us. That's one reason why, when you look around their infield, the second baseman's five foot six, Jose Altuve won an MVP a couple years ago. Right. The third baseman's five foot nine, Alex Bregman, might very well win an MVP this year. So yes, being short is perhaps not a positive data point in the constellation that they uh, put together and, and fed into their algorithms, but it's not one that would eliminate anybody from contention. No, that makes sense. So you mentioned human element, and you know, right now we're going through a huge transformation where a lot of uh, digitalization, automation, and stuff like that is actually pulling people out of the field, putting them in the office. But I mean, do you ever see in in sports uh, or baseball specifically, like the human element completely getting taken out of the equation? Because you know, within oil and gas. In my opinion, it's important to have someone with the experience to be able to analyze it. Sure, it's good to be able to organize it and deliver in such a manner where we can make real-time decisions, but those decisions, ultimately, a, a human, a lot of them have to be made. Is that gonna be taken out you know, with scouting and everything? I mean, are we gonna get to a point where you know, they plug everything into the machine and says, player XYZ is gonna make it and not? I mean, instead of going to the games, interacting with you know, coaches doing this, doing that. I mean, is that gonna get taken away or do you think that's always gonna exist? I think it's always going to exist. In fact, I think the human factor will increasingly become a way for great organizations to differentiate themselves in a landscape in which the advantage presented by data alone has flattened. Now that the sophistication level of almost every team has significantly increased. You know, when Sig Dell, the NASA rocket scientist, joined the Cardinals front office, he was the fourth analyst, the fourth data analyst, and this was in 2004, mm. fourth data analyst to work for a major league baseball team. Now the Los Angeles Dodgers alone have two dozen analysts on their staff, wow. right? There's hundreds and hundreds <clears throat> of people doing this job in major league baseball. It's almost table stakes, yeah. right, to compete that you have to have this sort of department. I think what the Houston Astros identified early on is something that a British statistician named George E.P. Box once said. And the famous quote is, all models are flawed, but some are useful, right? They figured out that, yes, their models could be an incredible help to them, but they were never going to describe the entire picture of any player. And human expertise could be that factor to, uh, you know, the slim, the, to, to overcome the slim margin between winning and defeat. Let me talk about the role of the manager on a team for a second. A lot of people say, oh, you know, why, why do we even need a manager anymore? As you just kind of suggested, you know, like we have all these analytics, we have all these data. Do we just need a guy to punch buttons? You know, like you know which, which the advantageous matchups are, you know who matches up well against who, just send them out there. That's not how Jeff Luno ever thought about his managerial position. In fact, when he was searching for a new manager after 2014, 
he had about 10 candidates, and he asked each one of them the same question. He said, I'm going to send down the lineup every day from the front office based on statistically optimized matchups, and you're going to implement it. Are you okay with that? And a lot of the candidates said, yes, you know, I understand we're in an analytically advanced world. This is a data-driven organization. Yes, I'm okay with that. That was not the answer Jeff Luno was looking for. He wanted a manager who felt empowered to use the data that he was getting, but to make his own decisions based on situations on the ground that he was observing. You know, whose arm hurt that day? Who didn't sleep last night for whatever reason? Who is having a fight with his girlfriend? Sure. Things like that that only a human being on the ground could detect. That sort of thing, I think, will increasingly represent the advantage between winning organizations and just okay ones. That makes sense. So are organizations, are they hiring? I mean, it sounds like they are hiring more and more people that have that sort of background, but are they hiring people that otherwise don't have any uh, baseball background and kind of crowdsourcing to create different technologies? Are you aware of anything like that? Yeah, a lot of the people that they're hiring don't have baseball backgrounds. I think most of them have a baseball interest. Sure. And I think that's how they're able to hire incredibly skilled people in all sorts of areas at you know a fraction of what they might make on Wall Street right. or in this industry or something like that. Like baseball, it allows them to attract them at, at a lower price. But yeah, I mean, Jeff Luno's current assistant general manager is a guy named Brandon Taubman, who's been with the organization since 2014. Luno hired him straight from Barclays Bank, where he, where he was, was an expert in derivatives valuation. No kidding. Right? Derivatives valuation being essentially, I mean, I don't fully understand it, to be honest, but it's essentially he was, he was, he was an expert in the art of predicting the future value of very complicated financial products called derivatives. Also, it turns out that those skills apply to predicting the, very, the future value of very complicated assets called baseball players. No kidding. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty neat. And the reason I brought that up is because you know, I'm sure we're all familiar with Anadarko and, and the Oxy merger. But before Oxy bought them, they actually created a team of 50 data scientists, hired them from all over the place, a lot of them which didn't have experience in oil and gas. And they used crowdsourcing and, and a lot of you know, interesting applications to bring in people who otherwise didn't have that experience in oil and gas. And there was a, a gentleman, I think out of, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, but in Brazil, who was able to create a model and some software to analyze mud logs, which is something very common in the oil and gas industry. He was a private detective in a completely different country, but you know, using things like that, having people come in that don't necessarily have the background, but just have a different angle, but have such a unique skill set. And that's where in oil and gas, we're at such a tip of the iceberg, mm -hmm. where a lot of this, you know, the digital roadmap and these ideas and the software and the technology exists all over the world, but being able to come here and apply it to oil and gas is just extremely exciting for us as, a, as an industry. So kind of another question I had, you know, with, you know, winning the World Series, I mean, from your standpoint, what can companies do or organizations do? What would be your biggest word of advice be to companies wanting to, you know, take over the oil and gas industry through, you know, bringing in this type of technology and these ideas and methods? Well, I can speak to, to the Astros advantage that they had over every other baseball organization. Essentially, they had a longer time frame to find success than anybody else. And they had more patience mm -hmm. than anybody else. 
And that allowed them to almost maniacally focus on their long-term processes they were putting in place over immediate outcomes. Uh, Justin, as a lot of people in this room know, like it was terrible to be associated with the Astros, to be a fan of the Astros, to watch the Astros, for those people who did, for several years, right? Yeah. 162 games, horrible games a year, 2012, 2013, into 2014. But they were lucky enough to have an owner, Jim Crane, who was able to tolerate those embarrassing years, whereas a lot of other teams in other sports that tried to do this, they lost patience, right? The 76ers in basketball, they fired their architect of their rebuilding process. The Cleveland Browns did the same. The Astros didn't. They stuck with it. They didn't overreact to short-term events yeah. in pursuit of their long-term goal, even though it would take five years. That's a hard thing to do, especially when you're not getting those daily results. Right. But they did it, and they continue to do it now, even though they've found success. You know, one thing that Jeff Luno determined a long time ago was that pretty much the most valuable asset you can have is like a very top-rated minor league player, right? Like an elite prospect, because first of all, he's gonna start producing from the day he gets to the big leagues. He's gonna be cheaper than veteran players because of baseball's cost structure, and he's gonna be under team control for six years, which is a long time. Right. You look around at some other teams who are competitors of the Astros, they traded these guys, right? This sort of player. The Red Sox did it. They traded a guy named Juan Moncada to the White Sox. The Cubs did it. They traded Eloy Jimenez to the White Sox as well. They traded Gleyber Torres to the Yankees in pursuit of short-term success. They traded them for established veteran superstars. And it worked for both those teams, right? Like the Cubs won in 2016. The Red Sox won last year. But it's not working in the long term. Both right. those teams are struggling now. Yeah. Jeff Luno would never, ever trade these prospects, right? Everybody wanted Alex Bregman. Wouldn't trade him even when they're going for a World Series. Everybody want, wanted Jordan Alvarez. Wouldn't trade him. Now the guy's going to win the AL Rookie of the Year award. Wouldn't do it. He would make other trades, but he had the patience to wait, wait out his uh, trading partners until they would take packages of kind of more but lesser minor leaguers. That's how he got Justin Verlander. Mm -hmm. That's how he got Garrett Cole. That's how he got Zach Greinke. That's really how he got what looks right now to be the greatest rotation anybody can remember as we head into the baseball playoffs. Right. So certainly playing the long game was part of the, the, the strategy. Right. And, and, and delaying gratification, because everyone wants the instant gratification. I mean, and the market dictates that. You know, they want to sell jerseys, they want to win, go, go, go. But if it's not sustainable, uh, then you go through this volatile, you know, environment. Where right. Is it looks like, you know, over the, since, you know, 2017, they've been, you know, highly ranked, playing extremely well, now playing some of the best ball they've ever played. Where does that mindset come from? I mean, is that, did he just, I mean, you know, like, was it sort of something that he had always been, you know, interested in and just waiting? I mean, where did that culture, where did that shift, or where did that sort of mindset originate? Uh, I think a lot of it comes from his background in business at McKinsey, for example. Okay. Um, a lot of it is just personal. Like, he is an incredibly thick skin. And during the bad years, he'd walk around Houston or in the ballpark and everybody's yelling at him, right? Like, yeah. those people who even care about who he is. But he focuses on what he thinks is best. And, you know, say at the trading deadline this year, right? 
goes on the radio, he turns on the TV. Everybody's screaming, the Astros need another pitcher. They need to do whatever it takes to, to get another pitcher. But he knows he's not trading those three prospects that I mentioned. And even if that means that he will end up not getting that other pitcher and take all this public heat, he's just not going to do it anyway. A lot of it is up to his constitution. And it's a very hard thing to do because right. there's no guarantee that this thing is going to work. Yeah. Like you believe that these guys know what you're doing, but there's no guarantee that you're going to go through five years of pain and it's going to work. That was a big part of their strength and their advantage as well. Good for him. So the market obviously didn't dictate or influence his, his path. I mean, he stuck with it, committed, and you know, here, here yeah. they are now. Kind of waited for the market to come to him, at least as far as some of those pitchers. <laughs> yeah, true that. So what would you say the biggest challenge was for the Astros? Because I'd imagine you, 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 this, sort of this method gets you know, deployed throughout the organization. I would imagine not every single person there jumped on board, gave it 110%. So what, what was some of the hurdles that they had to overcome in order to make this thing successful? Because every, everyone at the end of the day has to buy into the vision and commit themselves to, to playing this, you know, playing this way. So, you know, what type of challenges are you aware of? Do you, were there any? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're kind of alluding to where I'm going with it, which is culture change is very hard. You know, I'm sure that the energy industry has a lot of rules of thumb, a lot of things that have been, 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 been doing that have been done the same way for yeah. decades and decades and decades. That's exactly what baseball's like. Now, Jeff Luno and Sig Dell became famous with the Astros, but they actually came into baseball in the scouting and development department of the St. Louis Cardinals, right? So the Astros were terrible when they came in. It's pretty clear they needed to take some new direction if they are gonna find any success at all. When they joined the Cardinals, though, they were joining the most successful organization in the history of the National League already. The second most successful organization in all of baseball after the Yankees. And yet they were telling these guys, you know, scouts, executives, who had had all the success that there's a better way to do this. You know, like if you in integrate analytics into your processes, you're going to draft better, you're going to sign better players, you're going to do better. There was a whole lot of pushback they continued all the way through the time they were there, but at the end of the day, the results spoke to themselves for themselves. During their tenure in St. Louis, the Cardinals drafted more players who became major leaguers than any other organization under Jeff Luno and Sig Dell. Once you start having success like that, it starts to become easier and easier to bring people along with you. But still, I mean, even when they got to Houston, although the team was so bad, they tried to implement things like the shift, right? For people who aren't baseball fans, the idea of the shift is that traditionally, we know how baseball players are aligned, right? Like third baseman's here, shortstop's here, second baseman's here, first baseman's here in the infield. Well, the shift uses data to position players against each individual hitter based on that hitter's profile and the probabilities of where he's going to hit the ball. Right? So sometimes the shortstop, if it's a guy who hits the ball to right field a lot, sometimes the shortstop would play on what's considered the wrong side of second base. It seems pretty logical now, but at the time, this was absolute heresy. And when they tried to get the players on board, a lot of them pushed back. You know, The pitchers hated it because all they could remember uh, with the shift behind them is like that one time that a hitter hit the ball to where the shortstop 
normally would be and wasn't. Yeah. You know, it took them a while to show them the nine other times that, in fact, the shortstop's proper positioning had saved them a hit. So it was really about getting the players to understand that this stuff was not designed for the benefit of the front office. It would actually improve the performance of the individuals in the team as well. Wow. No, that, so that kind of stuff is certainly fascinating. And it takes time to realize you know, the return on the investment, whether it's, you know, financial or just different approaches, sort of leading into my next question with, you know, that's obviously some something that they're doing a little bit different now than historically, but where do you see the future of, you know, predictive analyses, data analytics? I mean, what does it look like five, 10, you know, years down the road? I mean, are, I'm sure after the Astros now have proved the concept, more and more organizations are investing money and time into it. So where do you see this all going? Right. I mean, the Astros have certainly proved the concept. You know how I mentioned earlier on, Justin, that, that when in their early years of Jeff Luna and Sig Meidel's tenure there, they had the worst three-year record of any team in the past 50 years. Well, between 2017 and 2019, the season that just concluded, they won 311 games. That's the best record for any team over a three-year period in 50 years. So there could not, literally could not be a more extreme turnaround in just a decade's time that the Astros have undertaken. Part of their success now, and to get to your question going forward, has to do with a bit of a shift in their focus as far as using analytics. What we've been talking about so far has a lot to do with the idea of talent ID, right? Talent identification. How do we pick who the best players are? Players that perhaps have been undervalued by everybody else. Kind of like maybe how do we pick, you know, where to drill or something like that. Yeah. I'm just guessing. I'm not an Yeah, no. <laughs> the shift is now to performance enhancement, really. Not in a chemical way, in a natural way. Performance yeah. enhancement as far as now that we've picked players who we think we have the best have the best potential, how do we give them analytical tools to maximize that potential, to become the best players they can be? Now you notice, as this keeps happening, right? Like as soon as Justin Verlander joins the Astros, he pitches like a lot better than he had for years. As soon as Garrett Cole joins the Astros, he becomes, you know, the co-Cy Young favorite along with Verlander. It happens again and again and again. A lot of it has to do with the Astros giving these players analytical tools they never had before to get the most out of their talent. Specifically for pitchers, they were very early investors in pitch tracking technology, which could tell a pitcher with each throw, you know, the vertical break of his pitch, the horizontal break of his pitch, the spin rate of his pitch, mm. could identify which of those deliveries was the best, would be the most effective against opposing batters, and then in combination with high-speed cameras that could kind of show how the pitcher's fingers behaved when they were throwing their best pitches, wow. could allow the pitchers to train themselves to replicate that, to do it again and again and again. Sometimes we're talking about like one inch difference in the position of your middle finger, or even less than that. I'm sure. That sort of training stuff, the Astros are far ahead of, of the curve. So I guess in an, in an oil context, it would be once you've found the well, how to use analytics to maximize the production of yeah. that well. I'm, you know, and, I'm guessing. You, you hit it on the head, actually, because <laughs> uh, a lot of money that was being spent recently was, you know, how many rigs can you add to the board? How many wells can you drill to meet production? Well, now the investments are being more focused on 
uh, a lot of how can we increase production rates and, and reduce the yep. amount of drilling you're doing. That's exactly what the Astros are doing with baseball players. Yeah, no, it's uh, extremely fascinating. Those are all the questions I had. One more question I have, and then we'll open it up to the audience because we've got a few minutes is, you know, I could probably guess, but what's your prediction for this year's World Series? <laughs> well, let's see here, Justin. I picked the World Series, the Astros to win the 2017 World Series in 2014, which they did. Yeah. I picked them again last year when by all fundamental metrics, they were even better than the 2017 team. They fell short in the ALCS, but they were still a really good team. This year, by every metric, this team is better than it ever has been. Right. You know, not just wins, but you know, anything you could look at, runs permitted, uh, runs scored, OPS, every analytic advanced or not. I picked them again at the beginning of the season to win. Of course, I'm sticking with that. Beginning of the season, I also picked them to beat the Washington Nationals in the World Series. Last night, it was looking a little dicey. It took a, uh, <laughs> took a ninth inning comeback, or I guess an eighth inning comeback by the Nationals, but they're still alive. Sure. So I'm going to stick with that one. Although, look, the Dodgers are pretty good, too. They're probably the favorites in the NL. Okay, got it. Well, thank you so much. Is there anyone out there who has a question for Ben? Hi, Rochelle Elberg with Navigant Research. Hi. Hi. You talked a lot about how analytics can make not only finding the best players easier and better, but also helping those players improve their individual performance. Are the teams using analytics to evaluate the interrelationships between players so that if you have a guy that's good at this over here, maybe you need a guy who's better at something else over there? They're starting to, and they're starting to do this in some measure based on technology. Now, baseball a few years ago introduced player tracking technology, right? So every movement that a baseball player on any team now makes in a game is tracked, is analyzed. Things like his, you know, the rate at which he's running, his acceleration, his interrelationship with other players. But Jeff Luno told me the other day, like, this means that there's just so, way more data than they could possibly process. So the Astros in particular are investing in things like AI and machine learning to try to figure out what to do with this vast quantity of data that's produced by Major League Baseball every single night. So to answer your question, I think that some sort of, you know, really kind of analytically rigorous approach to those sort of, to like the interrelationships with players is pretty far off, which is why that's one of those kind of softer things that for now anyway, is really up to humans to try to detect and to try to figure out, even down to the concept of team chemistry. You know, like how well do the guys get along in the clubhouse? For a long time, hardcore analysts thought, well, this doesn't matter, right? Like this is, we can't measure it. It's not a factor in winning. Jeff Luno always thought that it did matter, that, you know, ex information sharing, you know, what this guy's seeing from this pitcher, passing along to a teammate, having the relationships within the clubhouse to do that, to learn from each other, was very important. And, you know, he's invested in it. In 2017, he signed a player named Carlos Beltran, who was 40 years old. He's probably declining as a player, but he was somebody who had devoted a lot of his career to bridging the gap between the Spanish-speaking and the English-speaking sides of the clubhouse. Beltran grew up in Puerto Rico, not speaking English. He knew how hard it was when he was a young player to, like, even figure out what he was supposed to be doing at a given time. So by the time he was 40 years old, he was really highly attuned to this 
And, you know, you ask anybody in that clubhouse, a big part of the reason why the 2017 Astros were so cohesive was that Carlos Beltran brought them together. He's retired now. He's considered a top managerial candidate. Uh, that's that sort of investment that the Astros have made, even in things that they can't really measure, but simply know must have an impact uh, that seems to have borne fruit and been a big factor in their winning. Good question. Time for one more. Hi, Ben. My name is Mike McDaniel. I, uh, this year, you're talking about things that are difficult to measure, and it seems like they had a lot of injuries, for example, running out first base this year. <coughs> and so that's something, using some of those alternative metrics and that, that movement tracking software, you would think that they could get a handle on the data, and yet this year, that particular injury happened, I think, to four or five different players over the course of the year. So the data is still a bit imperfect. How do you see if the data is not measuring something, how does Jeff's team try to come up with a, a new metric on the fly, and if they don't, how do they still mitigate things that happen in the game, like injuries or bad relationships, or like you said, not sleeping well the night before. How do they mitigate those things on the fly when the data doesn't tell them what they think they should know? I mean, that's a, a lot of that has to do with the manager, the people on the ground, A.J. Hinch. You know, A.J. Hinch, was the choice as manager, not just because he had been a major league catcher, it was kind of the position that's in the center of the team at all times, between the pitcher and the fielders and everything, but he's actually a graduate of Stanford. He was a psychology major at Stanford. So like when you talk about a lot of, you know, interrelationships in his clubhouse and understanding players' motivations and all those things, uh, he's central to that. As far as injury prevention, that's really one of the that's like the, the next horizons for all this stuff. No team has really figured it out. Now there's been a lot of biomechanical analyses of things like pitchers wind-ups, you know, kind of elite, figuring out how, how to optimize wind-ups to take stress off the key points that are often stressed, like the elbow in particular, right? So the Astros are certainly working with that, as are a lot of other teams, but any team that cracks, you know, cracks the code on how to prevent injuries is going to have an enormous advantage. You look at the Yankees, another one of the more analytically advanced teams out there. Their season was just ravaged by injuries this year. Of course, because they're the Yankees, they have such a deep team. They still won the AL East. But if they can't figure it out, the Dodgers can't figure it out, the Astros haven't quite figured it out yet, any team that can is going to have an enormous advantage on the competition. Anything else? So in our industry, anybody with Cisco certification all of a sudden with data science? <laughs> I'm just curious on your side of things. Are y'all seeing the same thing where you have people that really don't have the skills and experience wanting to be data scientists, but they actually can't actually work? I think so. I think that the barrier to entry into baseball is so high that they pretty easily root those people out. I mean, for every position, every analyst position, Jeff Luna will get 500 applications You know, every time he posts a job. That's, I mean, he'll tell you, that's his advantage. Everybody wants to work in baseball no matter what their skill set is. So he really is picking from the best of the best, even though, frankly, they don't pay that much comparatively. Thanks, guys. Hey, round of applause, please, for Ben and Justin. Thank you very much. Hey, guys. We have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon for 4 to 6. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, 
SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver happy hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oil Field Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora Leste Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilly, Tamora Leste. The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 11.30 in Houston. This event will cover the topic, are your PMs preventing or causing failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a disruptive energy workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush Conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush-China Conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional, and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com.